0: Bum bum ba dum, bum bum ba bam bum 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 ba bum bum ba bum bum ba dum, bum 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 do dum, do dum 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 bum 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 dum dum bum dum 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 bum dum 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 You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. This month we're learning what love really means through conversation. No touching, oh my goodness, that is too, okay, I gotta keep going. (laughs)
1: Keep going, Lisa, keep going, (laughs) that's it. We can't help it, we can't help it.
0: With Rogue and Remy LeBeau from Marvel's X-Men and we're applying Doctors Gottman and Abrams eight dates, essential conversations for a lifetime of love to their relationship woes.
1: Yeah, friends, howdy. Uh, Boy, a lot can change between episodes, huh, Lisa? Oh,
0: oh man. So much. Yeah. Uh,
1: We were so stoked last week after learning that our comic book couples counseling panel had been approved at this year's Awesome Con in Washington, D.C., and while they haven't canceled the convention yet, it's not looking so good. Uh, So much is changing so fast.
0: Yeah, it's been a panic here at the Gullickson household for me to um, transfer all of my piano students, my voice students Uh, to remote lessons and trying to get everything organized so I can operate while social distancing. Yeah, but
1: you know what, Lisa? I I keep telling you this, and I know you don't believe me. I think those remote lessons are really fantastic. I've really enjoyed being a part of them in the background, (laughs) eavesdropping. I think you're crushing it with the remote lessons, and I think it is so important for these children to maintain some kind of normalcy, and you are doing that for them.
0: Yeah, thank you, my love. I hope that that's the case. Um, Of course, all of my singing gigs have been postponed. Um, I've had... Two weddings so far be rescheduled. Yep. So everything has felt a little bit up in the air for me.
1: Yeah, and for, I'm guessing, all of our listeners. There's a big question mark out there, and I know that that question mark is really scary and anxiety-inducing. We're all feeling it. Uh, But hopefully here at Comic Book Couples Counseling, like Lisa's doing with her remote lessons, we can maintain some form of normalcy by bringing you... Episode after episode after episode, and you're probably going to get more episodes because of the isolation we're experiencing. <laughs> so let's I, not
0: make any promises. Well,
1: we won't make any promises, but I'm looking at the positive side. And yeah, you are,
0: Brad. Like this is a a way that Brad and I approach crisis differently because I am a warrior. I am wringing my yeah. hands. I am lying awake at night. Meanwhile. Brad, my love, is online shopping. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've been doing a lot of panic shopping, that's for sure. Uh,
0: not hoarding. We're not, not one of those. No, 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 no,
1: no. We have a, a normal amount of toilet paper, not a, a, a vault full. Yeah. Right? Um, but, you know, like, I have been really enjoying seeing... All the positive community action happening online right now. Uh, And that's where I find my hope. You know, seeing guys like Eric Stevenson, the publisher of Image Comics, come out in support of the direct market and your local comic book shops. Uh, I mean, wow, you should read his editorial. Just jump on over to Image Comics. Read that editorial. It's really inspiring. Our local shop, uh, Big Planet Comics, as well as like some of our nearby shops, Four Color Fantasies and Third Eye Comics, are all doing curbside pickups for folks, as well as mailing out subscriber boxers.
0: I cannot wait. You said subscriber boxers.
1: Yeah, well, th- uh, there might be some undershorts in there amongst <laughs> my comics as well.
0: Um, we're looking forward to getting our weekly Wednesday comics yes. in the mail. Yes. There might be some in- unboxing videos oh, we, in-, in our future. We are
1: definitely going to do an unboxing video of that first box that we get from Big Planet Comics. We'll drop it on our Twitter feed. We may even put it in our Instagram and uh, the It Modcast Facebook page. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, like, the other thing is— When that first wave of comic conventions started getting canceled or postponed, you know, E3, WonderCon, Emerald City Comic Con, I was very much moved by the online support of all the artists shut out of a ton of revenue, right? And if you followed the ECCC online hashtag, uh, that would introduce you to a bunch of cool comics and artists that I had never really experienced before. And yeah, so that's, again, that's where I'm finding my hope. That's where I'm finding my excitement for this weird time in our history.
0: And it's an opportunity to, even if we can't go outside and hang out together, it's a way of bringing the con to us.
1: Right. So you
0: still get that beautiful interaction. You still get that burst of enthusiasm. We love it.
1: And, you know, as Lisa said, I've been doing a lot of panic shopping for the both of us, (laughs) for the both of us. And and I wanted to take a few moments here at the top of the show before we start talking about Kelly Thompson's Mr. and Mrs. X to highlight a few of the books and a few of the artists we've supported over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Do you think that's a good idea, Lisa? Yeah,
0: I love that. All right. Let's do
1: it. So two comics uh, I purchased from Jeffrey J. Manley, uh, at Manley Comics on Twitter, Uh, And he directs you to Amazon for purchase, which may or may not be a little challenging right now. Uh, You know, they're they're cutting back on shipping some of the essential stuff, but I don't think they've classified comics just yet as essential. But if you're trying to get pasta sauce, you you might be in trouble. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But first up, I picked up a $10 mass market paperback sized original graphic novel called You Won't Survive Zero Adventure. I really, really enjoyed this book. Uh, It's a quick read. It's, It's, again, I love the mass market format for a graphic novel. You just don't see that design anymore. And I'd like to see more of them. But it's a story about this toddler who was put in stasis when he was sent out into space, and while his mind has uh, developed thanks to like matrix level like downloading, uh, his body remains the size of a toddler, and so he's fighting little aliens. Uh, he's communicating uh, with little with with uh, his, his other astronauts. One might be a dog. Uh, It's a fun comic and you're like, oh, this is cute and fun, cute and fun. But then you get to the ending and I'm not going to spoil it necessarily, but you should prepare yourself for a really weird and beautifully dark ending. Uh, So highly recommend uh, uh, You Won't Survive Zero Adventure. And I also bought like a $5 book of his called Drawn for Memory, which is just this little art sketchbook where he draws characters like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and uh, Earthworm Jim and The Punisher without any reference. You just see his idea of what he remembers these characters looking like. I I I think that's a really cool book. And for five bucks, well worth it. And
0: for a comic book nerd, a pretty vulnerable thing to do. Because we love to look at it and go, that's not right. That's
1: not how Beta red Bill looks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lisa, I know you were reading the comics of uh, Mark Jackson.
0: Yeah, he has a really cute cartoonist style. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of a slightly looser Dexter's Laboratory from Nickelodeon. Uh,
1: interesting. Yeah, yeah, I can see that.
0: Um, but he has two little mini comics out. One is... That is the all new adventures of Magnum PI. Oh man,
1: right up my alley. Tom Selleck is my daddy.
0: (laughs) And um, oh my, that is a revelation, folks. Uh,
1: He's sexy.
0: He is, I agree. (laughs) I agree. Mustache rides for everybody. (laughs) Ooh, that's dirty. This first issue is entitled Frills and Spills. Nice. And it opens with Magnum PI. Uh, dangling by a cord from TC's helicopter, <laughs> and when he returns to his Corvette, he finds a pair of panties he does not recognize. Oh
1: no! That well, that seems like a Magnum problem, and I think that's a Ferrari, Lisa. Magnum drives. Oh, a I Ferrari. don't know cars. I don't know cars. <laughs> Thank
0: you for pointing that out. I'd hate to be corrected on Twitter. Um, It's got all of the characters that you love. Higgins is also being hinted at, we haven't seen him. This is an extremely short comic, and it is just barely an, oh, there's Higgins. It's barely an introduction to this little episode, but the art is really cute. Uh, He does this kind of um, dichromatic uh, color style where it's black lines, white paper, and red ink. Yeah. Which is... Um, actually kind of striking.
1: I love so. it, I love it. I would read uh, a massive tome of all new adventures of Magna P.I. comics from Mark Jackson.
0: I would love for a way fatter envelope yeah, to arrive yeah. from the UK with these comics because yeah. just one issue is not enough.
1: Yeah, and I we're need gonna, to know
0: where this story goes.
1: We're gonna have Mark Jackson on this podcast. We've been talking on oh, Twitter. Uh, and he's excited to join us for a little chat. So on one of our future episodes,
0: we'll talk with him. Now, I also read issue number one of his Spoo Kids. Uh, It's a story about—oh, talking about Dexter's Laboratory. I'm sure that this is just a coincidence. Maybe this is why that triggered that memory. Um, But it's about uh, a super smart kid who— ropes his best friend, who's maybe slightly not as smart as he is, into getting involved in his little inventions. And of course they go awry and they have to wrangle the help of uh, one of the neighbor kids, a girl who's a little bit tougher, a little bit more worldly wise, Uh, her name is Nellie, to straighten out the mess that they've made with their invention. This is another one where it's super episodic. You really get you it ends on a cliffhanger. And you feel barely introduced to the story. You want to know what happens next. (laughs) Um,
1: Lisa's demanding more Mark Jackson comics, basically. Yes,
0: please. (laughs) He really knows how to leave you wanting more.
1: So for a limited time, Adam Reck, the co-host of the Battle of the Atom podcast, uh, he had a few extra copies of his Bish and Jubes comics. That's Bishop and Jubilee for those not in the know.
0: These are so cute. They're
1: super cute. Um, And you can find him at Arthur Stacey on Twitter or Adam Reck. Dot Tumblr.com. Uh, this is some seriously nerdy stuff for X-Men fans, each comic panel coming packed with in-jokes and all kinds of silliness. Even cooler, maybe, is that he made his own batch of trading cards based on the old Jim Lee X-Men cards from the 90s. So you get this rad pinup image, but when you flip the card on the back, you also get all the character statistics and a fun fact, just like those classic trading cards had back in the day.
0: I love opening these envelopes from these independent artists because they are all so creative, so for example, the Mark Jackson one came with some super sweet envelope art. Yeah, oh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Check out our Instagram, we posted it, very cool.
0: And when you um, unwrap these envelope stickers fall out, these trading cards, they really um, want to make a great first impression, and you get your money's worth, uh, and it works on us. Yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure.
1: Uh, you know, listeners also know that I'm a massive cartoonist kay- kayfabe watcher. Oh, man. Uh, much to Lisa's Chagrin, because they're always on, and Lisa's, like, dreaming of Ed Pisker and Jim Ruggs' voices. Uh, but they what I love about them is they're doing what we're doing right now. Like they introduce you to rad comics of all kinds. Uh, and the one I'm most excited to talk about right now is Teddy Goldenberg's comic book sequel to the Sylvester Stallone movie, Cobra. yes. You heard me right, Cobra 2 exists. And it comes in two nifty acts, each one costing about $15 after shipping. Uh, And they're coming all the way from Israel. So that's a really great deal. Uh, You can find them at uh, Teddy Goldenberg Comics art uh, my and there's hyphens between all those words or you can just find him at uh, Teddy Goldenberg on Instagram and then click on the link
0: we should probably put these uh, handles in the show notes and links and stuff like that
1: that's a great idea and I will do that if I remember Another one that uh, Cartoonist Kayfabe introduced me to was Pat Kane and his comic book, Rorg of the Blood Swamp. And Lisa. Yes. You read this right after I read it. 12 bucks. That's all it costs.
0: Oh, man. And we got our money's worth. This book is wild. The art is beautiful. Uh, It's definitely, I would say, a Brad comic.
1: A violent, macho, gross uh, Conan the Barbarian spin. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's very up my alley.
0: But you get to see some boobs, and who doesn't wanna see <laughs> boobs? Even <laughs> cartoony, um, super um, global
1: Shaped like a globe, I mean, not international. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, they're great. They're great. Uh, The blood's great. The boobs are great. The code (laughs) great. Uh, Rorg of the Blood Swamp. Uh, It's one of my favorite new comics that I've discovered this month. It's wild. Uh, Yeah. Uh, uh, The first issue of Pete Dory's Stan and Jack comic is now available from his shop at uh, petedory.bigcartel.com. Uh, who doesn't want to read about the continuing adventures of Stanley and Jack Kirby? This is some glorious, fun stuff.
0: So cute.
1: And we can't end this conversation without giving a shout out to our friends, Liz and Jimmy Reed, AKA Cuddles and Rage. Their new horror anthology graphic novel, Bites of Terror 10 Frightfully Delicious Tales, is coming out this Tuesday from Quirk Books. And we had them on the ItMod Chatcast podcast. And we had a great time chatting with them. And guess what? The second part of that episode will drop this Tuesday uh, right here on the Comic Book Couples Counseling feed. Yes, it's an epic ITMODcast crossover event, just like the Mutant Massacre or the Executioner's Song. Be on the lookout for that, please.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: Now, finally, 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 finally. We are just losing our dang heads over a piece of art that we commissioned from at Karen underscore X Men fan on Twitter. Uh, They opened up their commissions a little while ago, and we jumped on the opportunity. Their work is stunning and absolutely affordable. Uh, They do all kinds of pieces, from headshots to splash pages to covers, ranging from twenty-five bucks to one hundred and fifty bucks. So, yeah, we had them do a cover spoof of the classic Mark Silvestri long shot cover from X-Men or Uncanny X-Men number 224 featuring the two of us where Lisa is long shot and I'm her damsel being rescued from the speeding getaway car. Have we ever been happier, Lisa?
0: This is definitely like a marriage highlight. Being able, because it's extremely vulnerable to send your likeness to someone and go like, yeah. please interpret this in a cartoony way that does not hurt my feelings, but also looks like me. Yeah. And the fact that they captured our likeness so so well, but also they captured the spirit of us as a couple. Yeah,
1: and the spirit of that cover.
0: Yeah, oh, so fun.
1: Like, it's astonishing, Uh, I need a 24 by 36 poster And that's going in our bedroom, Lisa
0: Oh, yes, please I want to sleep underneath that Every single night It's
1: a ceiling poster It should be a ceiling poster
0: (laughs) But then where would we put our mirror?
1: Oh, that's true, that's true Very hard to put posters on mirrors (laughs) Uh, But yay, comics Uh, They will get us through this time of insanity
0: They're almost better than having friends
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, almost, almost Uh, Although I do crave uh, Facebook Live And talking to to all our friends online uh, I, I need it um, but you know what it's, it hasn't all been terrible news Peaches Lisa still pet of the month
0: I think it means even more now I think so too <laughs> Peaches is pet of the month
1: that's what I was waiting for I was waiting for the Peaches is pet of the month song Uh, but now, uh, time to get back to our regularly scheduled programming. The time has come to say goodbye to Rogue and Remy. This is our last episode for now.
0: I can't believe I'm going to miss them so much. Ah, I know, but it's,
1: it's, it's crazy. I mean, did you... After we uh, recorded our first two episodes on those early 90s X-Men comics from uh, Claremont and Byrne and um, uh, Fabian Nietzsche and Scott Lobdell, uh, did you think you were going to love Rogan Gambit as much as you do now?
0: I mean, that's an easy answer. Like, no.
1: Right, right. Kelly Thompson for the win.
0: Indeed. She really managed to honor their storylines that had begun in these 90s comics, but then elevate them by giving them this perspective where no longer is Gambit the worst ever, the biggest douchebag. Yeah, yeah.
1: And incorporating the 90s history and making it work for modern psychology of comics. Yeah. Very, very impressive. Uh, We we should also mention that Thompson actually listened to our last episode. That's wild. uh, Discussing her first Rogue and Gambit miniseries, and I am thankful to report that she didn't seem to hate it or us. Phew. Phew. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She sent us a complimentary tweet, and it reads as follows. Thanks, guys. This was a great listen. I hope you all enjoy Mr. and Mrs. X as well, but just a word of warning to help you manage expectation, it's not as deep. Deep a Dive as Rogue and Gambit. It's a bit more of a traditional book.
0: Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I, I read this tweet before I started reading the comics. And I don't think I necessarily needed to manage my expectations. It is more of an adventure story. There isn't as much of a deep dive into the history of these I, I think
1: it's fair to say that the Rogue and Gambit miniseries is like way more are. Bag, like, yeah. I mean, when we get done, uh, I don't want to spoil the conversation. But of all the comics that we read, I am going to spoil the conversation. The Rogan Gambit miniseries oh, abso- is by far my favorite. Absolutely,
0: I really do think that that is a masterpiece. Yeah, it's a masterpiece yeah. and, of a book. And, and
1: so I understand her desire to want to manage those expectations.
0: But at the same it's time, a different thing. But at the same time, we love comics.
1: Yeah, we love comics, and Mister Z- Mrs X is actually also really, really good. Yeah, it's fun. Um, we also <laughs> on Twitter got some helpful info from a longtime listener and rambit expert, Apple J. You've heard her name before. You'll hear it again. Uh, regarding that whole Trial of Gambit
0: business. Uh-huh. Oh, I that, needed this.
1: Yeah, that really kind of shocked us regarding how uh, Wikipedia summarized everything since neither Lisa and I actually read those specific Trial of Gambit issues back in the day. So maybe Gambit isn't a genocidal monster responsible for the mutant massacre. Uh, I'm just going to read what Apple J tweeted us. Is that please, okay? Please Let's do it. All right, these are her words. Okay, we'll try to explain Trial of Gambit. So basically, Remy was exiled from the Thieves' Guild and New Orleans after killing Julian in the duel, At this time, he was beginning to have trouble controlling his powers, and they were becoming dangerous. So being 16 and basically homeless, he ended up drifting and taking unsavory jobs while continuing to struggle with his powers. He eventually found his way to Mr. Sinister, who offered him a surgery that would restore his control. In exchange, he had to do some jobs for Mr. Sinister. The main job was to assemble a strike team. Uh, Given his time with the Thieves Guild, he knew some unsavory contacts and assembled the team. He He didn't know what the team was for, though clearly nothing good. In addition, he served as a guide through the Morlock tunnels, but didn't know the intention was genocide of the Morlocks, including elderly women and children. Once the slaughter begins, he tries to turn on the group, but was outnumbered and severely injured. He grabs one child, who later is revealed to be the character Marrow and barely escapes. In the lead up to Trial of Gambit, you see him dealing with guilt and depression about his part in the massacre, especially as he learns the X-Men's part in it, and how it damaged many of them. He is terrified of the X-Men, learning his secret and rejecting him, but basically, that is what happened. Uh, they all leave him in Antarctica to freeze to death when his guilt is revealed. Specifically, Rogue leaves him. He only survives due to an energy parasite he discovers that bonds to him, and uh, he walks to the savage land. Rogue eventually comes to her senses after his personality fades from her, and we learn his own self-loathing over the incident influenced her decision to abandon him. But when she searches she can't find him, it was awful and dramatic and actually didn't make the X-Men look pretty good. (laughs) So, yeah, Um, I guess I can't go, well, he's a Nazi like I did last week, right. right? He was a child who was suffering and he fell into the hands of a diabolical dude and he set something up that resulted in true evil,
0: yeah, that's right. and And we see even in this run of Mr. and Mrs. X, that Gambit is always trying to balance like, I'm a thief. Part yeah. of who I am is dealing with unsavory characters. To reject unsavory characters would be contrary to my upbringing. But now I'm an X-Men. I'm supposed to be this hero. I'm supposed to be a person who always chooses the right and the good. And he is always um, struggling with these two sides of himself.
1: Right, 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 right. For sure, for sure. Yeah, and that's, uh, especially in the Thompson run, that's really an appeal to the character, which is something maybe I did not really appreciate during the Howard Mackey minis when we were really hanging out in the war lids. Like I just wanted to get away from the thieves guild, but I do appreciate it now uh, as his backstory and the, the trial of Gambit as this really torturous event in his life. Yeah. But while we're saying goodbye to Rogan Gambit with the Mr. and Mrs. X storyline, we're also saying goodbye to the self-help book, Eight Dates, Essential Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. Lisa, how are we using Dr. Gottman and Abrams this week?
0: Last week, we discussed the topics from date number one, lean on me, trust and commitment. And I think that we gained a lot of insight into why Rogue and Gambit had so much trouble getting to the altar. Trust is and was a major stumbling block for them. Eight Date says that trust is the oxygen of a commitment, mm. and when trust isn't there, the flame of the relationship snuffs out. Mm, I like that. At first impulse, one might think that Gambit and his flirtatious, hypersexualized ways would make him the source of distrust, but we learned in Kelly Thompson's Rogue and Gambit series that Rogue's deep-seated belief that her powers are a sign from above that she should never be romantically entwined is the culprit. She would drop Gambit like a hot rock at the first (laughs) sign of trouble because she would say, see, it's like I've been saying all of the time, I'm not meant to be in a relationship, which made Gambit feel like he could not trust her to stay with him for the long haul. You'll even see in these two volumes of Mr. and Mrs. X that his distrust is still a source of conflict even after they're married, and Rogue has to work very hard to keep the oxygen of trust flowing. Mm,
1: For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: This week, I thought we would discuss the topics of date number seven, something to believe in, growth, and spirituality. I picked this chapter because even though they're married now, Rogue and Gambit are still trying to find themselves. Gambit is still, after all these years, trying to reconcile himself with being an X-Men and an official good guy and a scallywag from the Thieves Guild. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rogue is still in a complicated relationship with her powers, which were briefly under control and now more out of control than ever. Rogue can't help but feel that when her powers are unmanageable and at their most dangerous, Gambit has a loophole through which he can leave the relationship under the heading, not what he signed up for. (laughs) And she wouldn't blame him for taking that loophole. Eight Dates says that in every relationship, the only constant is change. The key is how each person in the relationship accommodates the growth of the other partner. Brad and I know this firsthand. We are certainly not the same people when we met 12 years ago.
1: 13 years ago, 13
0: Lisa. years ago. <laughs> if our love was a, a child, it would be in middle school and uh, uh, disgusting.
1: Gross. Ugh. Middle school's the
0: worst. <laughs> so Brad, like, what are some of the ways you feel like you've changed or I've changed over the course of these 13 years?
1: Uh, I mean, like the thing that comes to mind immediately is my sensitivity towards anxiety and mental health. I Mm -hmm. think you have um, really opened my eyes to uh, not just your point of view and your anxieties, but just the idea that, the things that happen in a person's brain uh, chemically are are different than what's happening in your brain, and because somebody is acting or reacting to some thing uh, differently than the way you would, that doesn't mean that that person is wrong or broken or crazy.
0: Yeah, I think both of us have gotten way more empathetic. Yes, over yes, the yes. past decade. I think that has a lot to do with the way the culture is changing around us. Sure,
1: sure. Who's in the White House, that kind of thing. uh,
0: Yeah. Um, And I think think that that's a way that we've grown together. I just think that benefit of having that other perspective and um, being able to talk about how things are evolving and which side – we want to take on yeah, on and, those well, kinds and, of and, and
1: having conversations with each other when we disagree with things or when we see something uh, in in a different light. You know, I think if you go back to the early days of our our dating and even our early marriage, uh, I I think a lot of the conflict was um, stubborn, right? You yeah. Know, like, well, this is no, no. This is how that's seen. This is how, and it, like it can it can be anything from, uh, you know. Um, laundry to uh, how you interpret a a film, right? Uh I remember one of our earliest dates, we went and saw No Country for Old Men, the Coen Brothers film. Uh, So this was 2007, right? And I loved that movie. (laughs) I loved that movie. We went and saw it at Landmark E Street Cinema. Shout out to the cinemas who are struggling right now. Um, And you hated it.
0: I did not like it, because it's one of those journey films where the entire movie is trying to get characters from one place to another, and I find those so boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You're not a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, I'm not. But I was really upset that you did not like No Country for Old Men. That really bothered me, and I was trying to convince you, no, No Country for Old Men is a masterpiece, and I was being very – Brad about it.
0: And I was being very Lisa about, like, I've put my foot down. You are <laughs> We can talk about this all day long, but you're not going to change my mind. Well,
1: we have not revisited it since 2007. We
0: haven't. And maybe I'm a completely different film watcher yeah, than I sure. was when we got married. Um, Brad has introduced me to a lot of genre film. I feel like I went into our relationship not at all desensitized to – violence in film to sexuality in film. I went into our relationship completely sheltered. Do
1: you remember when we went to LA, we went to the New Beverly Theater and we saw a double feature of, um, I think it was The Mothers and Johnny Firecloud. And we were watching Johnny Firecloud and there's that really horrific rape sequence in it. And you, you had never seen a rape on film before?
0: Never. I never had. And
1: you were- Traumatized by it,
0: I was definitely a- upset by it. A- I, I wouldn't go so far as to say traumatized. Well, well
1: you you were extremely upset by it, and we had a long conversation. And then I started noticing all the rape scenes <laughs> in movies that I loved, yeah. and I was like, "Huh, Brad." Interesting because
0: you do have this pre, uh, appreciation for seventies film where Grindhouse, they were yeah. where they were really trying to push the envelope and the envelopes always seem to be a woman's private and a, a man uh, going in them without permission. Yeah, Jesus.
1: It's, so yeah, okay. That's that is tr- the way we've changed. That sidetracked there, but yes, yes, that's the way we've changed.
0: I was thinking more specifically about like how um, my attitude towards. Eating meat has changed. Oh sure, significantly. I remember early in our marriage, I started I started reading Jonathan Safran Foer's book, um, Eating Animals because I loved him as a novelist. Right. I loved everything illuminated. Uh, I loved extremely loud and incredibly close. That was what that was my favorite book for a very long time. So I started reading this book, and I found myself being very affected by what he was saying about, um, fa- factory farming and and that kind of thing, and I started bringing it up to you, and you got you like straight up said like I could never be vegetarian. It is a something that could never I would never even consider, and I stopped reading the book. Yeah, because I remember. because I felt like that was not what you signed up for.
1: Right, 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 right.
0: But now, like. I am not a vegetarian still. If I go to somebody else's house and what they have to offer is meat, I will still eat it. But I no longer cook it at home. Uh, I no longer use um, animal products if I'm cooking for myself. And um, and I know that if I ever said like, I'm not, I'm done with animal products that you would support me in that. You would allow that yes. kind of growth. And
1: uh, what has also happened, Lisa, is that because of y- our conversations regarding factory farming and uh, the environment, um, I also uh, eat very little meat and I'm reducing dairy as well, trying to. That's the one I have the most difficult time with. Um, but, but like- I mean, since we've been in the situation we're currently on now, I haven't had any meat.
0: Uh, yeah, that's true. Because we've been isolating. Because we're eating only things that I cook.
1: Right. And um, guess what? I don't miss it. Yeah. Uh, you know, every now and again, I'll get a, a, a craving for like barbacoa. But then, <laughs> you know, when you go to Chipotle, Chipotle has sofritas. And it turns out sofritas tastes better than barbacoa. And I like I like ethically, I want to be uh, a vegetarian, uh, maybe even a vegan. Yeah. Um. And I'm I'm slowly but surely uh, attempting that we'll see we'll but see but how you, it goes but, but if my mom's making roast beef in Yorkshire putting it for Christmas dinner I'm eating that
0: yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I have the same opinion, too, towards other people's hospitality and, and how I want to respond. I would yeah. never judge somebody else for being like, sorry, sorry, mom. Right, right. And, <laughs> and
1: and like when, you know, these choices that I'm making aren't necessarily a judgment on anybody else's choices either no, if you no. are, are, are are not vegan or vegetarian. It's just what's what's going on in our household right now and what certainly was not going on in our household 13 years ago.
0: That's right. Sometimes the way we change over time can create conflict, but eight dates assures us that conflict is the way that we grow. The goal isn't trying to make the other person be like you. The goal is to learn from them and benefit from the ways that you're different. Struggle in a relationship is inevitable, but we remember from the introductory material that the important thing is how we include the struggle in our narrative. Happy couples glorify the struggle while unhappy couples catastrophize it. Mm. And we see a great mm. example of this in the X-Men Gold.
1: Oh, issue 30.
0: Issue 30, <laughs> yeah. because we see, so this is the itch, issue in which um, it's supposed to be Kitty Pride and Colossus's wedding, but then it ends up being Rogue and Gambit's wedding. Switcheroo! And the reason that Kitty could not marry her fiance was because Eliana came to her and recontextualized their narrative because Kitty Pride and Pio- Piotr, how do you say I, his I name? just say
1: Peter. Uh, I just you say do? Peter. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I'm an I'll American just... <laughs> and I butcher names. Ugh. I mean,
0: as a couple, they went through a lot. Like. Kitty was trapped in a bullet. Astonishing X-Men. Other things, other yep, examples. Yep, yep, yep. I can't find the page That's It's has okay. These. But, and uh, Ileana says, like, you guys have been through so much that, like, if you were meant to be together, don't you think you'd be together already? Which is an insane thought, but in, it infects Kitty's mind that when he goes to put that ring on her finger she reflexively phases and doesn't allow, oh, that's, so shocking.
1: What I love about that, it is brutal, like the, the, uh, the phasing, is that they take the Phil Noto image cover, mm-hmm. if you look on the cover of the, the, of the comic, she is phasing through Peter's hand, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, romantic. But then when it happens in the context of the comic, you're like, oh my God, that is devastating. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant switcheroo.
0: Oh man, it's heartbreaking, especially because I love that Astonishing X Men run where Kitty yes, takes that yes, sacrifice. Yes. Anyway, Joss Whedon, awesome. But when it comes time for Rogue and Gambit to say their vows, we hear how they contextualize their struggle and um, how they see everything that they've been through as this path that. Ultimately, like they wouldn't have those struggles if it did not mean that they are inevitably meant to be together. Right,
1: right, right. How they see the same kind of issues that Kitty and Peter have is like a bonus.
0: They see it optimistically and as part of their ultimate destiny, which is to be together. So, uh, yeah.
1: I think what's interesting about like like what Ileana says there in X-Men Gold number 30 is that you kind of understand her point of view if you think of all of X Men continuity as happening over this long period of time. But in reality, X Men comic book time is much shorter than what we experience. Yeah. And so it might not actually be this, like, well, this great vast of decades and decades and decades of time that you should have been together. It may just be like a couple of years, or yeah. maybe five years, 10 years. I don't know. Sometimes. X-Men time is so weird.
0: Yeah. Because uh, one day can last. Three months. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Research shows that married couples who believe their relationship is sacred have better relationships overall. But that doesn't mean that the couples have to share religious beliefs. In fact, according to Pew Research, shared religious beliefs are not high on a couple's priority list. It is less important than shared interests, Hmm. good sex, and... Hmm. Even division of household chores. I love that that one is above, like, how <laughs> well, does the universe fit together? You, you
1: totally get it. I mean, I totally understand it. I totally understand well, it. What
0: goes back to it? what, like, what you go through every day is, is so much more important, important yeah.
1: than- yeah. The now, the now.
0: Than- yeah, it's not about having the same narrative for the universe or, what, or whatever. It's about having, as a couple, a shared meaning and purpose. For sure. So how can we foster a shared meaning or purpose? One way is to create rituals. They can be a weekly date night. They can be how you say hello and goodbye. It can be how you choose to celebrate or how you choose to deal with setbacks. Brad and I have certain rituals that kind of just evolved on their own. Like the way we say goodbye, we try to make sure that we're looking at each other. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm looking at you.
0: I'm looking at you. Yeah. Um, another ritual is like when we have a morning off, we try to have breakfast and read comics together. Yeah, yeah. Is a ritual. Um But I do see the value of creating rituals with intentionality and going like, okay, our ritual for what's an example, our ritual for uh, while we're on this social distancing thing is that. For a part of our day, we'll try to turn our phones off yes. and have together time. Yes. Like that kind yes. of intentionality going like, uh, OK.
1: I think ritual right now in social distancing is crucial. And, and I I, th- I think scheduling and not just I think, you know, like setting your alarm clock and getting up on time, you know, like it's so Structure. easy just to fall into um malaise.
0: And creating a narrative for this time at home, going like, "Okay, our shared purpose for this time at home is we use the extra time for our creative endeavors." Yes,
1: for sure. Yes, for yes,
0: furthering yes. CBCC, for um, trying to post more content. Patreon, Lisa. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it uh, you know, as a as a uh, humble person, I, it always feels weird to ask for money, but we are. Creating a thing. Yeah,
1: we're creating a thing and we'll bring more content. I think it's a good idea, especially when so many gigs are being canceled, Lisa. That's true.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah. The best way to accommodate growth and change in a relationship is to make it safe for your partner to share their innermost thoughts with you. You should always foster a curiosity and excitement to see your partner grow and change as a person. So going back to that idea of generating trust, like, Every moment of every day when you interact with your other person in a way that is positive says, you can trust me. Mm -hmm. I won't reject Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. I am Mm -hmm. here for Mm -hmm. you. Mm There is not a situation that you could create that. I would leave you, within reason, obviously. (laughs) As we discuss these two volumes of Mr. and Mrs. X by Kelly Thompson, I think we should be observing how they are accommodating growth in each other and continuously affirming each other as they encounter the stumbling blocks of their past.
1: No, I think that's gonna be uh, like a great conversation, especially with Mr. and Mrs. X. And yes, we are covering all, or at least most of, do we really have to talk about Conjure again? I wanna. (laughs) Of the 12-issue Mr. and Mrs. X series, written by Kelly Thompson, illustrated by Oscar Bazaldua, David Lopez, and Javier Pina, colored by Frank Demarta and Naoyoung Kim, and lettered by VCs Joe Sabino and Travis Lanham. Uh, Featuring stellar covers by both Terry and Rachel Dodson.
0: Gorgeous. Love the covers. Yes.
1: Here's your basic synopsis of Mr. and Mrs. X, courtesy of Goodreads. Volume one, entitled Love and Marriage, goes like this. To the surprise of everyone, the Marvel Universe's hottest couple has tied the knot. But there's no time to enjoy Wedded Bliss when Rogue and Gambrit find themselves tasked with protecting a mysterious package that just about everyone in the galaxy is trying to steal. What secrets does this package hold that everyone from the Imperial Guard and the Starjammers to TechNet and Deathbird with an entire Shi'ar Rebellion in tow will risk everything for... Perhaps more importantly, is there anything worse than Deadpool crashing your honeymoon? And volume two, entitled Gambit and Rogue Forever, Gambit and Rogue are throwing a party and everyone is invited, guest starring every X-Man. Their apartment can fit. Hey, who invited the Thieves Guild? And Kandra. And stuck in the Mojo Verse, Rogue and Gambit are forced to relive moments of their past, but this time for the cameras. So yeah, Mr. and Mrs. X, Rogue and Remy finally got married, but not by Kelly Thompson. Boo! Boo. (laughs) They were married as a surprise twist to, yes, we've already talked about it, the big Kitty and Colossus wedding that occurred in X-Men Gold number 33, written by Mark Guggenheim and illustrated by David Marquez. Uh, Sad for Kitty and Colossus, but yay for Remy and Rogue. Uh, I'm
0: glad that Mr. and Mrs. X begins again yes, uh, at yes. that wedding. Because once uh, the there's the shock of Kitty and Colossus not getting married, it feels kind of rushed into Rogue And Remy, so I'm glad that they took the time. that Uh, Kelly Thompson took the time to revisit all of the events around that ceremony and make a
1: a, a real like event out of it, and not just a twist. Uh, Although, like I do love X Men Gold number 33, and I was surprised at how much I liked that entire issue. It's super cute,
0: and I love this art.
1: Yes. What's fascinating is that Kelly Thompson was still writing her Rogue and Gambit miniseries when she got word from editorial that they wanted Rogue and Remy married. And Thompson reworked the ending of her story to make it possible. At one point, the climax of Rogue and Gambit mini could have ended with a much darker button to their relationship. And I'm so glad that did not happen.
0: (laughs) We love seeing couples together. We
1: love seeing couples together. And the ending of the Rogue and Gambit miniseries is it's, perfect. Yeah, it's amazing. Right? Yeah. So, let's get into this discussion. Yes. So, yes, Kelly Thompson finally gives it, you know, some time to Rogue and Remy and their wedding, right? So the majority of the first issue of Mister and Mrs. X is the ceremony and gathering. Uh, like I love like the cute stuff of like something borrowed, something blue. Finding all that within the team, very and very how, clever.
0: How each little individual X Men has their own like role or attitude about the yeah. wedding.
1: Jubilee, and, she's is so
0: excited
1: to her name. You know she is jubilation. Like it, it, she I, and I love I love how she she reacts to this ceremony. It's Especially coming off of the tragedy of uh, Kitty and Peter, um, but like I think we want to talk about those those first few pages, right? Absolutely. I know you really wanted to.
0: Well, uh, Kelly Thompson loves to lay out her theme within the first couple of pages, and it is always so satisfying to see that theme come together as you're reading the story. So the first couple of pages you see, this nine panel grid where we are alternating between watching Rogue and Remy on their wedding day and then watching this tiny ship be destroyed out in space. So
1: you get nine panel grid, turn the page, double splash, explosion in the left, and underneath them, Rogue and Remy kissing, finally unified as one.
0: That's right. Gorgeous. And then the text says, you're always the center of your own world, the star of your own story. Of course you are. How could it be anything else? But there are infinite stories and infinite stars, and in some other star's story, you don't even exist. Yeah. Yet. Because you can never guess how some things will connect. How things that never in a million years seems like they would cross paths. So over the course of this story, we see Rogue and Remy have to put their story, their honeymoon story, on the back burner because there are all of these urgent matters to attend to. Yeah,
1: so they're having their honeymoon in space, That's right. right. They, they, you know, when you're an X-Man, going to Hawaii is just not enough. <laughs> oh, certainly
0: not. And uh, Gambit has a certain amount of pressure to plan a really spectacular honeymoon, especially following an impromptu ceremony and how... We've seen in his past dates, he has a tendency to cater to his own interests. And Jubilee is like, you better not just be taking her to New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and he's so sister. offended. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, she's right. She's right. I'm sure that was his first choice.
1: Yeah. Uh, so they go to space, but of course, it's like Before anytime- Before we skip
0: to that, oh, sweetheart. yeah,
1: yeah, 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 sorry.
0: Um, there's another little thing that's introduced in this first issue, and it is- Rogue becoming dependent on the collar.
1: Oh yeah, oh gosh, we can't skip that.
0: We know that in the X-Men universe, there is a lot of emotional baggage around dampening yeah, someone's course. powers. Yeah, of and, and that's because the powers in the X-Men represents so many things. Uh, in the past, it's represented um, race, Uh, certainly currently in other runs, it represents the LGBT community and how these things that make you different do make you spectacular and they are part of who you are and they should be celebrated. But as a logistical, maybe medical consider, like I remember when we were having book club, and we were talking about Rogue. that astonishing yeah. X-Men run.
1: Yeah, right.
0: And how, like, I got into an argument with one of our fellow members because I was coming from it from the idea of, like, you never really get to consent to having powers. You know what I mean? And you're born with them. You're born with your powers. And um, some people get super cool powers, like Kitty Pride can phase. And, um, maybe you're like Remy and you can turn things explosive, but, but some people yeah. are like, every time I poop, it's just vanilla pudding yeah. or, you know, there's like an infinite spectrum <laughs> like of Caliban, these-
1: Caliban, right? And the Morlocks, you know, they're, they're not as lucky as Scott and Jean, right?
0: Right. And so like, I was coming from the angle of like, well, if you don't want whatever your power is, maybe you should be able to- dampen it or control it or whatever. Me completely being blind to the, the metaphor.
1: Right, yeah.
0: And so now with Rogue, her relationship to her powers is a metaphor for her fear and it's a metaphor for this idea that um, sh- that she lacks self-control um, or that she... Doesn't have mastery over well and her the metaphor emotions. of
1: the distance that she puts between people and a metaphor for her trust or lack thereof.
0: Right, but then we see like her in her on her wedding day putting on this collar and having this collar cause her physical discomfort. But now she can kind of be the person that she really wants to be some of the time—a person who and connects well, to other and that people. they
1: can consummate their marriage. They can have sex at the end of the night
0: without having worries,
1: right? Uh, but it does. Like she describes it as a migraine, and yeah. you know, as as people who suffer migraines, you in particular, you yeah. suffer frequent migraines, like. I mean, a migraine is debilitating.
0: Yeah. And so if
1: she's experiencing what you experience, I mean, that is not, that's not easy. She
0: is suffering some profound discomfort. And I think that, um, that, uh, I could be offended by her using the collar in some way. or, Or a person could be offended by her using the collar. But at the same time, it's like training wheels, yeah. I don't know, it's complicated. Well, what I
1: like about it is they acknowledge the the, the uncomfortableness of this, the, you know, with Beast. Right.
0: right, that conversation with Hank. And
1: she's like, you know, can't we have like a tennis bracelet or something? And he goes like, oh, I'm sorry that I've never put any effort into a device that uh, debilitates our people.
0: Yeah, designed to suppress their mutant powers. What a conundrum. But then
1: what does he do? We learn later on in this series, he does come up with a tennis bracelet dampener for her.
0: So they go on there, honeymoon and we get the little like uh time and place little notation much much later (laughs) and clearly they have been spending their honeymoon having enthusiastic and raucous intercourse marital relations and uh hooray um (laughs) but all of this time She's, she's wearing migraine. that yeah, collar. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Like, so it is weird. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I know that I, um, honeymoon sex is super important, but I imagine if uh, the act was causing her, as again, as much discomfort as it causes you, like, uh, let's take a break sooner. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I Like, they also, uh, uh, Rogue mentions, like, we've been spending a lot of time Indoors, mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there is a perfectly good planet down there, and and of course, Gambit is like, Yeah, we can go down to that planet anytime. And just the idea of going to that planet makes her randy, and so they, they do it some more. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they spend a lot of time in the bone zone, but uh, they start getting a, a, an alert, and they've got a call from Kitty who Again. says, I've got some coordinates for you. And they're like, seriously.
1: It's basically anytime the Enterprise is out in space and they're supposed to be having a good time, there's they're always the closest ship to the incident. Some they're, kind of
0: catastrophe. Yeah, they're the
1: only ones who can help. They're the closest. And so that's what what that's what's happening
0: here. Yeah. So Kitty sends them coordinates to Chaeon, or Chaon, depending on how you read it, a small planet on the outskirts of the Shi'ar Empire. They are sent to board a ship and retrieve a package, and when they're there, they see Cerise, a Shi'ar warrior uh, and the personal aide to the deceased Lalandra Neri- Neramani,
1: I just call her Lalandra.
0: Lalandra. who is the ex of Professor X yeah. or the wife of Professor X? Yeah, in some? The, yeah. Well,
1: I mean, she's dead, and uh, so the, the they were a couple. Yep. And now it's done because, because I, she's dead. Yeah, and I think Professor X is dead at this point too. Yes, if I is. remember correctly. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so yeah. So
0: there we we meet the Imperial Guard, and um, they there's some tussling over this egg. Uh, rogue brushes against somebody who has a phasing powers, and she accidentally, oh, the package is, is an egg, by the way. And she goes through the wall, and she's out in space holding the package, but- Suffocating. Suffocating. And she, luckily, somebody blips- And transports her, but it turns out to be Deadpool. Yeah,
1: Deadpool, that guy. We've talked a little bit about Deadpool in regards to Rogue and Remy, but not too much.
0: Apparently they have smoochied. Yeah, and
1: it it occurred during the Uncanny Avengers run, which I, I, I read the Remender stuff. I read everything pretty much leading up to Axis, which was the Red Skull. Uh, Marvel event, and it was not my favorite event, and I never ca- returned to Uncanny adventures after that, but apparently Rogue and Deadpool, they're on the team, uh, they, you know, they're celebrating the aftermath of uh, defeating Red Skull, and uh, yeah, they have a little smoochy, uh, a little smooch time, but the relationship was pretty darn brief, and uh, you know, th- that was the end of that.
0: Yeah. They seem to have a little, they have things in common. But
1: like the idea that Rogue and Deadpool were ever an item or potentially an item just must infuriate <laughs> Gambit. Oh, you know, of Because course. they are not like-minded individuals. And that's the joy of the first arc of Mr. and Mrs. X is anytime Rogue or any Gambit and Deadpool are together uh-huh. and having to team up uh, yeah. reluctantly.
0: Once... Um, gambit has rogue and deadpool and the egg all on the same ship he does some serious pouting (laughs) and this goes on throughout this entire honeymoon run because he's always going like i can't believe i have to take care of this egg on my honeymoon i can't believe i have to look at Deadpool on my honeymoon. I can't believe that I have to battle TechNet on my honeymoon. And I always find that to be like so childish. It reminds me of like when it's somebody's, you know, you're at work and it's somebody's birthday at work. It's my
1: birthday. It's my
0: birthday. I can't believe I'm refilling the coffee pot on my birthday. Just acknowledge (laughs) his honeymoon. To me, it's just like, hey, there's something else going on. Time is relative. You can have your honeymoon anytime. Yeah, you're an adult. You can have your birthday any and every day yeah. of the week if you want. Yeah, yeah, Take care yeah. of your business. Yeah, yeah, Jeez yeah, Louise. Yeah.
1: Uh, and then, you know, they do battle TechNet. I love TechNet. They're like a Captain Britain Excalibur uh, ca- villains or Uh, frenemies, I guess, Uh, interdimensional bounty hunters. I love them. They're creepy. They're weird. They're gross. I I think they're fantastic foils for Rogue and Gambit and Deadpool. It's a fun little issue that climaxes on a hell of a surprise because the egg cracks open, the package cracks open, and what's inside the egg but a naked rogue.
0: I know. There are a couple of elements that feel pretty redundant to me. And one of them is, like, we literally just met a bunch of clones of Rogue. Oh. And here we are looking at another clone of Rogue. And even Rogue points that out. Like, isn't this crazy? I'm seeing me, like, literally everywhere. Um But to me, it's just like, does it count Like, is it okay to do something redundant if you point out that it is redundant? I Uh, don't know. I
1: mean, I think that's a personal preference thing. I like how it works here, especially with Deadpool in the mix with a naked rogue baby.
0: And he's going like, well, you know, I can't have that rogue, but maybe this rogue.
1: gross, it's a child.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it doesn't stay rogue for very long. No,
1: no, not for long, not for long. Because when they immediately learn that this is a psychic child of Professor X and Lalandra, uh, the the child, the naked little rogue, is able to grab Rogue and Remy and pull the memories of Lalandra and Charles from their head. And she creates an image for herself that is a perfect blend of the physical characteristics of Lalandra and Charles. And she's this new person.
0: Yeah, and a pretty... Like, she's a super powerful person. Well, yeah. She's an Omega level
1: mutant. Yeah. Mutant.
0: And she is royalty. Like, Lilandra pledged all of her progeny to the Shi'ar Empire. And there's
1: a rebellion going on right now a civil war with the Shi'ar, a death bird. That's she right. wants this egg.
0: Lilandra's sister. Yeah. And then, obviously, the current Magistore Gladiator doesn't want this possible heir to his throne floating around. So there are all kinds of bounties out on getting this package, this egg back.
1: Yeah, and what happens is Deadpool and Gambit go aboard uh, a Shi'ar ship, Deathbird's rebel ship, and go after them. And uh, there's this awesome Mm four-page spread uh, where you see Gambit and Deadpool like, like I said, reluctantly teaming up to just decimate all of these goons and have this wonderful back and forth banter that is just tinged with this poisonous attitude. Uh, when uh, Kelly Thompson was talking with Marvel.com about her time on Mr. and Mrs. X, she highlighted those four pages as her favorite pages from the whole run.
0: They're so stupid fun. And I love how like Gambit is like, seriously, Deadpool, you can stop killing people. Yeah,
1: yeah, and he, he can't. He just can't. He keeps it just impaling dudes with his blades.
0: Yeah, yeah. But then he gets a stick. He has fun with the stick he for a little, little bit. He has fun with the stick, yeah. One thing I think we definitely have to touch on in this issue number three is the issue of trust bubbles up and Rogue and Gambit do have a small argument at this point, they have reconnected with Cerise, and she's like, "Okay, we're going to have to infiltrate the Shi'ar Empire. So you're going to have to put on some of these like
1: costume costumes yeah, yeah. so that
0: you can you can uh, go in undercover again.
1: Classic Star Trek maneuver.
0: And as they're doing that, Rogue starts reminding Gambit like why they're taking the time to do the right thing and she she's like you know like I know it's our I understand that it's our honeymoon but it's really important that we do the right thing for this offspring of Professor X because it's what he would have wanted and he takes offense at that and he says you don't have to give me a speech rogue you think that I don't care about Xandra or the professor or the safety of this child? So he's going like, "Duh." I know the right thing. Yeah. I know the right thing to do, and I think that she's right to say something because he has been pouting. Um, but at the same time, like he does have this insecurity of if I don't stay on the straight and narrow. Rogue will leave me, mm-hmm. leave me behind.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a fear there. There
0: is that insecurity, and well, they and resolve he, and it. And he
1: also has a lot of shame for his past history, obviously, right?
0: obviously. And but she feels bad for touching on this nerve, and she immediately realizes where sh- he's coming from, mm. and and treats it with the proper amount of urgency, and goes to make it up make make it right right away. Yeah. And it ends with them kissing it and making up.
1: And going down to the planet and immediately falling into chains and being hung upside down once again.
0: <laughs> the first of many, many times. Yeah. <laughs> Gambit does get in a really funny line that I love. And um, so obviously they're in chains, so you can't resist the opportunity to make a little joke about how apparently... Super kinky this couple is when we're not looking at them.
1: Yes, yes. They like the chains. They like the whips. They do.
0: No judgment zone. No judgment. But uh, Rogue is like, Remy, can you please keep your mind out of the gutter and focused on escape? And his response gets me because he goes... Don't you dare call our honeymoon the gutter, Rogue. I love that.
1: <laughs> you know what, though? I would read a Fifty Shades of Rogue and Remy. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah I would read that comic. That's,
0: you know that exists. There's uh, some slash uh, fiction yeah, they're, on yeah. the internet. it's out there. It's
1: out there. <laughs> we get into issue four and it's a big brawl issue. You know, we've the Star Jammers show up and the Imperial Guard shows up and Deathbird finally shows up. It's this massive battle for the package, which is reverted back into this egg.
0: Amidst all of the fisticuffs, we get the reuniting of Cerise and Sandra, And Cerise is this um, motherly figure to Sandra because she was the one who was taking care of her th- for her entire life. Her actual mother had already passed away at the time of her insemination. And Uh, It was Cerise who was telling her to remain an egg over this entire time. So when they finally get to meet after she's hatched, uh, Xandra is so grateful that she tells Rogue, like, I see, like, with my Professor X telepathic powers, I see in your mind the thing that is broken, and I will fix that for you. Mm -hmm. And- um, Once again,
1: presented, you know, like Rogue. Rogue is given this question a bunch over the course of her entire uh, existence.
0: And she, in this instance, is offended by it. And she's like, you know, like, because apparently it would be the kind of thing where, like, it would be turning off a part of her brain. And to her, that sounds like a lobotomy. And she pretty much goes like, no, thank you. But then- When Gambit hears about it, he's like, you didn't even consider it? Because to him, her being able to control her powers would be the resolution of the main conflict that had him rejected again and again and again. I can't because of my powers. And now, even after their marriage, he does feel that insecurity of like... As long as her powers are not reined in, she will dump me at any second. And she, of course, and her response to him was like, well, it's it's too easy. And Gambit is like, why turn down easy? Mm-hmm. Like, literally, like, why do we have to do things the hard way every single time? And then she's offended that he's offended. And she's like, you can walk away from this issue I have with my powers at any time. The loophole. Gambit. He sees the direction of this conversation and he walks himself back fairly quickly and goes like, you know what? I understand where you're coming from. These are your powers. This is 100% your choice.
1: Yeah, and then she goes and makes a huge choice. That's right. right. (laughs) She fakes her own death uh, to everybody. Um, And that is devastating to her partner, Gambit.
0: So issue number five starts with Gambit believing that he witnessed the death of his wife and he is devastated, obviously. And then when Rogue and Xandra show back up and it was like, JK, guys, totally (laughs) alive. um, Rogue begins to apologize and he is completely in shock and instead of being relieved, like, yeah, you're He's alive. Mad. He's really mad. Yeah. And um they start to argue, and he goes, Like, you do this, like, you do this all of the time. You take the hit and you act like the boss. You don't consider others. I'm your partner, rogue, not some underling. And uh she is like, I like. I had to make the call. Like we were losing that battle and something had to be done. And uh, when he continues to argue with her, she does like a terrible argument move. She tells him how to feel. And she says, stop being mad, be grateful. And this is is an argument where I see both sides.
1: Sure. I totally get it. I totally get it because th- this was the end. You know, they, they, they could have totally lost. They could have died themselves and she had an out and this was the only way out. And right. I get it. But I also understand that he is really, really uh, traumatized by it.
0: He's traumatized and he's scared and he sees that it's indicative of a bigger problem that he's not wrong about. Yeah. Where Rogue is willing to sacrifice herself in battle Where now that they're a union?
1: That's that can be a selfish act. Yeah, he gets
0: a say. Yeah. About her corporeal safety. And that comes up again in later arguments. But then
1: he has to reevaluate everything because what happens is Rogue's power has evolved and she doesn't even need to touch people anymore. She starts to instinctively absorb everyone around her psychically.
0: Yeah, and then it's collar time once again. And now the collar doesn't feel like, you know, a fun sexual aid. It does feel like like a
1: a collar. Shackles. Yeah, Shackles. shackles. And this... Sends Rogue into a state of catonic uh shock.
0: And despair. And
1: despair. And she curls up into a fetal position on this moon. And, you know, they they lay they, they let her stew for a bit, but eventually Gambit makes his way over to her to talk her back into reality.
0: Yeah. And this is where she actually articulates her. Little loophole theory that she's been toying in the back of her head. And she says, like, she says the words, Remy, this is not what you signed up for. And he goes, like, well, I thought that marriage was for better or worse. Right. And she's like, well, we didn't say that in our vows. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, but you did say in your vows, in your vow, that you would always find your way back to me. And now you're in this place of profound despair. And I'm asking you.
1: To find your way back.
0: To find your way back. Yeah. And I think it's really
1: beautiful. It's
0: really beautiful. And it's really critical to realize that that when you're in commit in a commitment, all life is is dealing with things that you didn't sign up for. All of life <laughs> is happening to all of us. Yeah. at all times. And we didn't sign up for any right, of it. Right. But right. what we did sign up for is I'll take this ride with you. Yeah,
1: let's do this together, me yeah. and you. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and that pretty much ends that issue. They return to uh, planet Earth, and Rogue moves in with Gambit and his uh, bajillion cats.
0: He has three cats, <laughs> and they are adorable. Okay. Oliver, Lucifer, and Figaro. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And... Uh, Issue six is kind of like the uh, big party, the uh, housewarming uh, event issue. It's one of those issues that we talked about uh, back in our first episode where it's, this issue is the gang having a picnic. This issue is the gang playing basketball together. This is the kind of stuff that we really, really adore about X-Men comics on CBCC.
0: The party starts with Rogue being like the frantic hostess, like, freaking out about getting everything set up, and then, exactly on time, there's a knock, knock, knock at the door, and of course, it's Bobby, and I completely see myself in Rogue at that moment, but she is lucky that Bobby shows up on time, because when we were having book clubs all of the time, we used to entertain a lot in The Love Nest, and Brad's friends in particular, Brad's friends are my friends, but the, the <laughs> friends that were primarily Brad's people had this really gross habit of showing up literally 45 minutes to an hour early, yeah. and it would make me livid. So mad. <laughs> and by livid, we mean like I would complain about it after the party. I would never go like, hey. Get out. So and so, you are not welcome.
1: Yeah. And speaking of not welcome, there's a whole bunch of unwanted <laughs> or unsuspected guests, including Belladonna just showing up in the bedroom and Eric Magneto uh, appearing in the sky.
0: I really appreciate the scene between Rogue and Eric because she is exhausted from wearing that collar and the physical symptoms it causes. So she decides to use her flight powers to do some social distancing from the party and um, get a break. And he meets her out there and they discuss the collar a little bit. And he, you know, of course has a, a very strong opinion about it being a muzzle And she does say, like, when I don't have my powers, part of me feels helpless. Like, she had an instance, she refers to an instance on Genosha where she was struck without her powers. Mm -hmm. And it it really damaged her emotionally. And he's like, have you talked to Remy about this? Have you talked to your partner about this? And she's like, I kind of brought it up. But but his narrative is so positive, like we're going to get through this. She doesn't want to bring him down as his partner, and and she doesn't. the The words she uses is, "I don't want to scare him off, Eric."
1: Yeah, again, it's a trust thing. Exactly. You know, she's still working it out. You know, they, they haven't solved that.
0: But Eric gives some pretty. Uh, sage advice, I think. And she he says, Rogue, that man is not going anywhere. Talk to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a pretty sweet move considering Rogue and Eric's past. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wish we could have covered more Rogue and Magneto stuff because it is really interesting.
0: Maybe someday. But
1: maybe someday. Yeah, yeah. I want to get back to the Savage Land. Yeah, But instead of that, we get the Mojo verse, right? So issue six ends with uh, them going through this particular package, opening this box up. and oh, it's it's a it's a trap. and the, you turn the page and what's happened? they're upside down again. And you have to go into issue number seven to figure out exactly where they are and who has them prisoner. And yes, they're in the mojo verse. They're held prisoner by Mojo. Um, if you like, I love Mojo. I love the Mojo verse, but it's one of the weirdest concepts in X-Men comics. Uh, Mojo is this creature, this blobule dude. Uh, he belongs to a race called the spineless ones. He totally can't move without the aid of his mechanical legs and whatnot. Uh, basically the way the human race was depicted at the end of Pixar's WALL-E, that's Mojo. Uh, he's a maniac who loves putting the X-Men against each other or through game show-like mazes for the enjoyment of the citizens of Mojoverse, uh, a.k.a. his slaves. It's mostly all about entertaining Mojo.
0: I like how Kelly Thompson uses this as an opportunity at Mojo as this opportunity to parallel how she might feel or comic book creators might feel toying with these yeah. characters that we yeah. love.
1: Yeah, you know what I like about Mojo? You know, he was created by Ann Nocenti and Arthur Adams for the Longshot miniseries. Uh, and Nocenti was basically using Mojo to comment on the works of Marshall McLuhan and Noam Chomsky that she was reading at the time and, and to like take down television executives, right? Mm-hmm. But over the decades and with the invention of reality TV, Like, Mojo has become a metaphor for many things. And I think you're right. Like, he is a metaphor for what we as an audience want of our characters and what writers want to put these characters through.
0: There is this great moment where Mojo is in the control room. Oh, it's after uh, they have, like, this kind of brief storyline, fairy tale storyline where Rogue... Ends up kissing Prince Longshot, and yeah. then Gambit bursts through the window.
1: So good, I love it.
0: And, and makes an apropos uh, dirty dancing reference.
1: Hey, you know you gotta you gotta drop those in whenever chronology.
0: You can. <laughs> we we don't ca- we don't care for it. But in the control room, Mojo insists that the public has this love to hate love triangles relationship, mm-hmm. and it makes me think about like when we were talking about Scott and Jean and Schema and Jot. And yeah. even though those that love triangle element drove us crazy, like literally we could not stop talking about it. And people it.
1: still can't let it go.
0: And yeah, we still get the, the love the hate, hate on Twitter <laughs> yeah. about some of the things that we said. So even these things where we're like, ugh, it drives me crazy that Scott gets derailed with Emma or... Ugh, you know, Scott and Gene could never work. Clearly, Emma is the one he's meant to be with. Like, as uncomfortable and crazy as it makes us, like, we Mojo's right. Yeah. It's why we keep going back For to the sure. comics. We sure. love to have these kind of rabid conversations. I mean, that's
1: a massive appeal of X-Men comics, Duh. Mm -hmm. My favorite issue of this run is issue eight where they are hopping through genres, you know, fantasy, science fiction, film noir. And then they get to like documentary and suddenly it's like we're in the Rogue and Gambit miniseries again where they're on like the therapist couch almost talking to the camera like real world style. Yeah,
0: confessional.
1: Yeah, confessional.
0: At the top of the page, both Rogue and Remy – affirm their commitment to each other. But then Rogue goes off on this tangent of like, I don't understand why he stays with me, right? Like, hasn't he been through, and haven't I put him through enough? Yeah. And she goes on to say, you hear people say that a lot, that love is all that matters. But then later, after they've been through horrible things, you hear them say that love isn't enough, but it is, isn't it? And then they cut to Gambit, Gambit going like, of of course love is enough. Like, but you have to work for it. You have to understand it and you have to chase it. But then he starts feeling <laughs> uncomfortable and he just leaves. He's like, yeah. I need a stiff drink. Yeah, yeah, and know, he well, leaves.
1: Well, you know, you have to chase it, right? Like he is a pursuer. That's like his nature. Mm-hmm. Like you have to lock it down.
0: Well, because I feel like the love that rogue is talking about is the f- effortless feeling kind the the butterflies kind and i think that what gambit is talking about is like the everyday reaffirming i think that he takes the gottman hmm. perspective of like Love is not an emotion. Love is an action. Mm -hmm -hmm. Commitment is an action. A practice. Yeah, a practice, yeah. What we haven't brought up yet is all of these scenarios, the fairy tale world, the uh, noir world. Every one of the scenarios that Mojo puts Gambit and Rogue in ends with Rogue losing control of her powers Mm -hmm. and killing Gambit.
1: Right. Then along comes Spiral, Mojo's little uh, hench slave. Slave, yeah. And she says to Gambit, look, I, I have the key to fixing what's going on with Rogue, but before I help you and before I help her, I need you to retrieve a package. And again, it's another package that might not quite be a package.
0: Right. What impresses me about Gambit's reaction, Remy's reaction to Spiral is when he hears that his body is being decimated again and again and again, he shows no concern for himself.
1: Yeah, it's all about Rogue.
0: It's all about Rogue and that idea um yeah, and and that idea of Spiral has a way of Rogue fixing herself, which is what Rogue really wants, Mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. opposed to Professor X going in and fixing her or Xandra going in and fixing her.
1: So Gambit goes to find this package and, you know, he has to do some little B&E. He does the B&E and he finds... what looks like a baby.
0: A little six-armed baby. Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh, it's Spiral's child. And so he brings that back to Spiral.
0: So issue nine is Gambit zipping through Mojo World to help retrieve whatever this package is. And his narration is going like, He's saying he's lost the thrill of the solo caper, and he wants more. And the implication, I think, is he wants a family life. He wants to settle down. He's getting
1: baby crazy.
0: That's right. Meanwhile, Rogue is interacting with this kind of like in-brain hologram of Spiral who is walking her through her memories to figure out, which memory is the one that has been triggering these uncontrolled yeah, and powers? And this is
1: the stuff that Kelly Thompson really excels at. She like thrives. this, is, and, and and this is the stuff that I eat up. Right, mm-hmm. where oh, we're back with Cody. Oh no, we have to like go through this process again. Like it, it's 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 delicious rogue content.
0: Right, and so we revisit the Cody. She's like. I've been through this memory a bajillion times. Don't need to do it again. It's not that issue. (laughs) Next stop is Carol Danvers.
1: She has a little bit of a mini revelation that she's trapped in this loop of stealing other people's powers.
0: And it's something that she does defensively out of fear. Then we go to that carriage ride with Gambit.
1: Yeah, back in X-Men number 24, right?
0: Right, and she was afraid of missing her chance at happiness. Then she recalls their first kiss at Muir Island. Yeah. And she goes, like, well, why didn't why didn't I steal his powers then? Was it because I wasn't afraid? And then we get to The dominoes uh, are fallen. hmm Then we get to an instance that we have not read. On this podcast, I haven't read it all. Have you read about um, when she absorbed the powers of Wonder Man?
1: Uh, no, I think that's, again, I think that's Uncanny Avengers. I could be wrong, but no, I, I don't have any recollection of that stuff.
0: Well, that was an instance where Professor X had got her under control, more or less, through his building walls. We've seen him do similar things with Jean Grey. Right. And she had this instance where... She was absorbing Wonder Man, and that broke broke the solution that Professor X had given her, and she was like, "Why?" And there was a time where she absorbed a whole bunch of lives and memories from something called the hecatome. And after she had done that, it had nearly killed her. She went through this physical devastation and so when she went to absorb wonder man even though it was much less of a feat she went into there it went into that so scared of having the hecatome thing happen again that her powers went under control and this is where she realizes that it's not that she doesn't have control of her powers it's the, it's but she fear. doesn't have control over fear yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah
0: and this is like a switch for her, and from that moment on, well, not exactly. She still has some reservations, but she feels this profound relief. Oh, it's the fear. And when I read that, I go like, because I'm a person with an anxiety disorder. We've talked about it on this podcast. But I like I can imagine somebody going like, um, uh, let's say I have Rogue's powers, and they go. See, Lisa, all you have to do is conquer your fear. Yeah, and I would stop go like being afraid. Well, clearly I'm screwed <laughs> yeah. because like my um kind of bottom state, like the the program that is always running in this computer that is my brain is fear. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh man, but it
1: But Rogue, but but it is a, a major revelation and uh, you know Spiral has now helped Rogue and now Mojo and his goons have shown up and it's fight time. Gambit appears. He's got the spiral baby, or is it a spiral baby? No, it's not.
0: It's a piece of her soul. It's and everybody soul. who looks at it sees something that that they would treasure right.
1: And so spiral gets that back, and it frees her from being a prisoner of mojo
0: that's right. And then, um later, once they have, uh, you know, Gambit meanwhile, has drummed up this revolution with this guy named Job. I, uh, who is one of the many, many underlings of Mojo? So the like Spiral and Gambit and Rogue and the Revolution. Everybody's fighting Mojo. Uh, eventually, Mojo is completely blown up, but somehow they're like, he'll come back because well, Mojo always, always
1: comes back.
0: And um, uh, Spiral tries to take partial credit for Rogue having control of her powers because like. Um, Spiral just offhandedly is like, um, I thank you for destroying Mojo and setting me free by restoring my soul, but I fixed your wife. So we're even. <laughs> and I love that uh, uh, Rogue. Has to throw in there. Actually, I I, I kind did of it I kind of fixed myself <laughs> because it is so important to her narrative that she that she did it. Yeah, she of course, of course, of course,
1: it totally makes sense. So then, Rogue and Gambit get to go back home to their apartment with their three cats. Uh, Rogue is called away by Captain Marvel. Gambit's left to his own devices. Knock, knock, knock. Who's there? It's his dad. And the final two issues of Mr. and Mrs. X is a return to New Orleans, the Thieves Guild, the Assassins Guild, and all the stuff I like the least about the <laughs> Gambit character. I was so disappointed. I was like, no, don't take me back to New Orleans. I don't care about Condra and Belladonna.
0: Well, I mean, it goes back to the essential Gambitness of these like split loyalties. But part of me feels like Belladonna and the Thieves Guild is kind of right. Like,
1: well, he is. Gambit
0: is not there. Right.
1: And he's supposed to be the king of the thieves at this point, right? He's their leader and he is nowhere to be found.
0: Right. And part of that is the Assassin's Guild's fault because it turns out they were the ones that planted the sure. fake gift that yeah. sent them into Mojo World. But. I do kind of see where they're coming from where it's just like, you're like the CEO of this company and you're just off golfing with your X-Men friends all of the time. Somebody needs to run this show. Yeah,
1: and he tries to say this thing about like, well, you know, I can be both things. Like I can do things. You don't, like, I don't have to be one Well, the conclusion
0: is that he can do both things. This doesn't end with him going like pulling an Aquaman and is like, you run yourselves. I'm just gonna be X-Men full time. He's just like, I'm still the king. But Jean luc my dad, he's gonna be, he's gonna be the the my mouthpiece. Yeah,
1: yeah. Whatever he says, uh, I say.
0: I'm just You're like, like I don't know, sweetheart. Just let the guilt go. I, I really you don't w- have. I
1: you really gotta, wish you would.
0: You got a lot on your plate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I know that you were also uh, more kind towards these last two issues. You you enjoyed these last two issues a lot more than I did.
0: Well, I feel that they address one of. Remy's major stumbling blocks in his relationship with Rogue because there is a huge event happening in the X-Men universe at this time that he feels like is more deserving of Rogue's attention. Scott and Logan are gone. Completely missing.
1: Right. This is happening during the time of X-Men Disassembled. Uh, we are getting ready to transition into House of X, Powers of Ten, mm-hmm. all the good Jonathan Hickman stuff. Uh, so some cataclysms have to occur with Legion and X-Men. Uh it's it's an interesting, it's an interesting way to wrap all that stuff up. I do kind of like a lot of the spin-off age of X-Men stories that were going on. Um but I, I think I was primarily disappointed in the disassembled aspect of the story.
0: But the point for Remy yeah, 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 yeah. was Sorry. like, <laughs> uh, Rogue is busy. Like mm-hmm. after she takes care of whatever Carol Danvers needed her for, she's probably going to go right to yeah, yeah. He's, he's, dealing with that He's stuff.
1: feeling a little like a, a lesser X-band.
0: So he feels like he's on his own. Mm-hmm. And um, when he is once again, In chains, captured by Belladonna (laughs) um, and Candra, like a child, Candra. Yeah, weird. Weird. Um, When Rogue shows up, he is like surprised. (laughs) He's like, "Oh, this is so nice." Oh, and someone cares about me. And he does bring it up to her. What are you doing here? Why aren't you with Scott and Logan? And she's like, "Where else would I be? Scott and Logan are not my husband. You are my husband." And this instance actually took me back to our Stan Tatkin, Dr. Stan Tatkin conversations about how a couple is like a small, the smallest unit of a community. Right. Like yeah, in, yeah. A, a couple little nation. is a two people community where the commitment is I take care of you, you take care of me. And if that does not exist, that then you community don't have a relationship. cannot stand. Yeah, right, right, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent point. Ah, oh, Stan Katkin, I miss you. Mm.
0: So, in the final issue, we get one of these beautiful Kelly Thompson nine-panel grids. Yeah, of this theme, is great. Of theme, and we see Gambit's narration where he's talking about like how he always feels split between two right things to do. Like, it is right for him to take care of the interests of Belladonna. It is right for him to be fighting with the X-Men. It is right for him to be taking care of the Thieves', thieves Guild. It is right for him to be taking care of his wife, Rogue. And he feels kind of like... it. Like, he just feels like he never quite nails it. Mm-hmm. He never quite nails the which is the right right thing to do. And he says... Pretty sure it's impossible to figure out. Of course, that doesn't mean it stops asking you to figure it out.
1: Right, right, right. And
0: so he's talking about this kind of Sisyphusian conundrum he is of trying to be good all of the time. That
1: boulder just keeps falling on back.
0: Right. And, like, I feel like a lot of times, especially nowadays where things feel like you go out into the world and things feel pretty crappy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like-
1: twenty nineteen. Uh you were a terrible year 2020. Uh hold my beard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but like I feel like a lot of the time we we find ourselves talking about having the conversation about picking between the lesser of two evils. And I think it's really interesting to have the conversation how do you choose between two equal goods? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's the conversation that Gambit is having with himself. Yeah. And
1: uh R- Rogue is there. Rogue appears like she is there to help answer that problem for him, right? right. They, they are that community. They are that nation of two.
0: Well, it yeah, it it changes the priority. Yes, it changes yes. the priority certainly.
1: Yeah, and then that's when we have Condra say like, well, we're going to make this literal. You're going to have to choose between the two, Belladonna or Rogue, and it's like the end of Batman Forever, and uh, uh, who's going to win, Doctor Chase Midian? Or uh, Robin, Batman, you gotta save one of them. And he goes like, no, the answer to your riddle is you gotta save both. There's there's right. no it's option. A,
0: it's a false dichotomy. Yeah, like yeah. there is not a universe where it's just like either you pick being in the Thieves Guild or you pick being an X-Men. Like he's like, no, I've always been both. I will continue to be both. Uh, even s- though logistically s- that will.
1: Gambit, <laughs> just be with the X-Men. Let your dad deal with the Thieves Guild.
0: Uh. But his kind of answer to the Sisyphusian conundrum is like, uh, sometimes it's good to just be a scallywag. It's pretty much <laughs> what he comes down to. Yeah.
1: And as a, a fan of Gambit, that's what you want him to say.
0: <laughs> right. Um, There is an instance where Rogue gets alarmed. She does get kind of freaked out and she momentarily begins to lose control of her powers. But she is able to rein in her fear and she gets that little triumph moment as well.
1: And so on that front, Mr. And Mrs. X leaves Rogue with like a tremendous amount of hope. Like she's got this. And it is a good place to leave that character. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a good place to leave Gambit, too, as a, a man of two worlds.
0: Right. Even and, though, <laughs> again. So, uh, so Rogue, like, once this is all cleaned up, he's told the Thieves' Guild, like, I'm still your king, but dad's in charge. I'm going off with my wife. Like, there's big things. Rogue is like, we've really got to go. Yeah. Like, it's an emergency. Yeah. And John Luke is like... Tanty Maddie will be super mad if you don't go and eat gumbo at her house. Yep,
1: yep, yep, Tanty Maddie. She's alive.
0: I know. I'm shocked. (laughs) I was pretty sure she was dead. But um, then, of course, like, she does the absolute rudest thing to ever do to a newlywed couple and is like, when are you having babies? That's an invasive question.
1: Yeah, well, as as, uh, a couple that does not have any children or any desire to have children, yes, stop asking. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) It's rude. It's an invasive question. And the older she gets, the more invasive it is.
1: Yeah, correct, correct, correct. So uh, but they- but it, it but that it ends the series on this idea that of um, Gambit. You know, he is a little baby crazy. There is a p- possibility of a family between these two. And uh, jump forward to where these characters are in the comics right now. You should be reading Captain Marvel. You should be reading Excalibur. This is uh, this is a very point of uh conversation happening between these two
0: yeah and it does kind of end on them having this conversation back at the apartment in new york but he says something that i think brings up trust issues again clearly he's still processing and he says like part of the one of the benefits of settling down and having a family would be like I I get to stop proving myself. Like he feels like he has to prove himself to his family, to the thieves, to the the assassins, to the X-Men, be, to and to Rogue. Like because of his past, he feels like everything he does is to negate that mm. that past. And Rogue says, and I think this is a really beautiful moment. Rogue says like, "I'm sorry." Like I'm sorry that that I made you feel like you had to prove yourself to me all of the time, and she recognizes the trauma this has done to him, and she says like, she she goes like the time of you proving yourself to me is is over. over
1: yeah, it's great.
0: It's a beautiful a good ending. Moment. It's
1: a good ending to this rampant. I mean, Rambit's not over, but to Kelly Thompson's version of these characters. Yeah,
0: it's really- Quite it's, quite yeah, sweet and quite it's perfect. Good. I know
1: I'm harsh on the Thieves Guild nonsense. I just don't like it. It's just never part of the mythology. I'm going to stop apologizing for not liking it. But <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. X as a whole was a blast to read.
0: Oh, absolutely. So fun. So
1: fun. So fun. That brings us to the point of the podcast where we discuss what have we learned? What have we learned about Rogan Gambit? What have we learned about ourselves? What can we apply to our own relationships? Lisa, what's your big takeaway?
0: From... Uh, Eight dates this week. I think my takeaway definitely has to do with, like, that idea of having a defined and openly discussed shared purpose in a relationship. And I think that it is easy to um, kind of get lax in the discussion of purpose when you are preoccupied with the everyday life of just kind of getting by. Mm-hmm. But I think that like having this podcast and having other creative projects together where we do talk about the meaning of relationships, we do talk about- It's incredibly what helpful is, for us. Yeah, that it. it's just, it helps reaffirm like, we're together, we're together for a reason. We have goals. Sure. Uh, I would love to- um kind of listify and maybe kind of maybe create some new rituals that we can do together to remind us of our sense of purpose ah,
1: I love that idea I think uh, that's also gonna be very very possible right now um you know my, my biggest- I'm not done oh
0: I want to tell you what I okay. learned from okay. Rose and Remy okay sorry 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 what I think uh this Mr and Mrs X storyline is a great reminder of. Is that a relationship is not like a straight shot. Like the journey of a relationship is not like a, a just a straight highway that goes into the horizon. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like um, having a relationship and building trust and building commitment is an act of tiny corrections. Mm. You know, yeah. like e- like every day, um, every day you're tossing your your um your insecurity or your lack of self-confidence or whatever your flaws, you're tossing that to your partner and going like, Are you going to reject me? Yeah. And then your partner catches it and says, No.
1: Your your last thought is never your final thought, right? Your last belief is never your final belief. You're always evolving. You're always changing. We are not the people who we were Um, And and really, like, my big takeaway from this week and Mr. and Mrs. X is that commitment is a commitment, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you are in a relationship and you start to have ideas of, like, well, Lisa's doing this um, and she's busy with that, Uh, I'll I'll deal with this. I got it. I'll Mm. figure this out. Uh, I can do this on my own. When when you start to have those thoughts of, like, "I, I got this. Don't worry about her. Uh, or vice versa. That's when you're in trouble, and you should probably talk that out.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you like ten thousand percent. And sometimes I feel like culturally we look at getting married as another thing and a long line of like checklists. Well, well it's like often- finish high school, yeah, check, right, go to college. Check. That's why there are never
1: great sequels to uh, stories that end where the first film ends with a marriage, right? Hellboy 1, hey, we're gonna be in a relationship. We're great together. Hellboy 2, we're fighting all the time.
0: Right, because that idea of marriage is a finish line. And that's like when you're in a functioning marriage, you know that that is not the case. Yeah, there
1: is no finishing life, or at least uh, no finishing line. There is a finishing life. (laughs) That's the end, but- even up to then, you are evolving. You're changing. You know, go talk to my grandfather in his 90s. He was still evolving. He was still discovering new things. He was still discovering relationships.
0: Yeah. So when you propose a commitment to somebody, be it marriage or just living together, really what you're a- what you're saying is, hey, I'm going to be a different person every day.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, you're going to be a different person every day. Uh but I want to do that together. You in?
1: Don't try to keep your partner who they were.
0: Yes, that is a huge mistake to try and go like, um, you know, y- you always did this this way. Why don't you you continue to terrible, do it? Terrible, terrible. I idea. have I have a specific couple in mind. I won't say who they are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, off air.
0: <laughs> mm, uh, off air. I tell you who they are. But um, they agreed early in their marriage that one of them would always do the dishes.
1: Oh, yeah, never do that, never do and that.
0: And then <laughs> uh, this person, the dishes person, took a second job yeah. that has them working 12-hour days. And one of the huge conflicts that they have, it's not a huge conflict, one of the conflicts that they have is Well, you told me when we got married you would always do the dishes.
1: Evolve, evolve, change. Evolve.
0: You have to let the other tasks. You always have to let the other person grow. And (sighs) even if that means they don't do dishes anymore. Lisa. Yeah.
1: We're done with Rogan Gambit.
0: No. Forever, right? Not
1: forever. That's
0: the great thing about the X-Men is it's like, well, we could return to them in a year.
1: Well, you know, like we – well, we've been doing this podcast for uh, just over a year uh, and no other couple has preoccupied as much thought or time as these two, right? And I'm a little nervous to say goodbye.
0: Oh, uh, well, hopefully those um, Rambit fans who joined to li- who joined us, hopefully you'll be – you. We're going to grow and change and evolve as a podcast.
1: But I got to say, like, Lisa's right. We have gained so many new and wonderful followers through Rogue and Remy, and we'll be thankful to them uh, and you new listeners uh, for a long time. We're Uh
0: asking you to commit to us as we grow and change. And as our listeners grow and change, we will continue to accept yes, and love you. Yes,
1: and I'm also saying <laughs> thank you for joining us. Um, and yeah, we we hope you stick around. Uh, we'll do right by you. But it is time to say goodbye to Rogue and Remy. And it's also time to say goodbye to the Marvel Universe for a little bit. Uh, we're heading back to the DC Comics Universe. And next week, we are going to launch our new series, On Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Yes. And I'm crazy excited to talk about them as a couple. Our first book is a classic and spawns directly out of the Batman, the animated series. We're covering Batman, Harley and Ivy issues one through three written by Paul Denny and illustrated by Bruce Tim. I know Lisa's going to be really excited only to cover three issues and not 12, Um, but we got to cover the beginning of their relationship before we can go any further with these two as a massive fan of the original Batman, the animated series. Uh, I'm looking forward to returning to its style and tone. And we may even watch a couple of the cartoons as well. What do you think, Lisa?
0: I'm always in for watching some cartoons. Yeah,
1: I know you are. Uh, Lisa. Yes. uh, With our new couple, we need a new self-help book. We're saying goodbye to Eight Dates and Gottman and Abrams. Who are we bringing along with us to the Harley and Ivy conversation?
0: We're going to bring in a comedian. What? Improviser. What? What? Uh, A guy that Lisa has a little bit of a comedy crush on.
1: Yeah, he's also a voice actor.
0: That's right, in cartoons. Yeah,
1: a turtle, a (laughs) (laughs) ducktail.
0: Yep, it's Ben Schwartz and another television animated feature film writer, Laura Moses, who I'm not familiar with, Nope, Nope. but I'm excited to get to know her. And the book, the relationship book they have written together is... Things you should already know about dating, you effing idiot. But it doesn't Swear. say effing.
1: Oh, oh.
0: It, can I tell you how it's spelled on the cover? Sure. F.
1: Uh-huh. Heart. Oh.
0: C-K. Oh. I-N-G.
1: I love it. So I'm fun. I'm really curious to see what Sonic the Hedgehog has to say uh, to us about romance.
0: I found this book by just Googling relationship, relationship books for millennials. Ah, uh, you know what? Because I know that technically- They may not be millennials.
1: Oh, Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn? I think they're millennials. I think they're millennials. They weren't created... You know, like their publication dates, not a millennial <laughs> publication date.
0: But they're still actually
1: young. no. Harley Quinn's definitely a millennial character, oh, sweet. right? Right? Because you're a millennial. You're 83. I'm 79. I'm Gen X baby.
0: I'm an elder millennial. Oh. I just barely squeak in.
1: <laughs> All right, Lisa. Uh, it that's enough. We got to say goodbye. It's been an extra long, epic episode to send off Rogan, Remy. Where can our listeners find you online? Where can they send their words of affirmation to you?
0: I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget, you can email the podcast by writing to cbccpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We want all of your deepest, innermost thoughts.
1: Yes, please.
0: And Brad, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you?
1: Uh, You can find me on all social medias, at MouthDork. And you can commit to this podcast by following us on Instagram and Twitter, at Podcast, by subscribing to us on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes, maybe YouTube in the near future. And while you're on iTunes, why not give us the gift of five stars? Uh, We need it. We love it. It warms our hearts.
0: We know you're not up to much. You are at home. Yeah.
1: So, uh, Rogan Remy fans, Rambit Forever, give us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah. And until next time, keep your love tank full.
0: And your psychic rapport open. da ba.
1: Once again, Rambit Forever.
0: Yeah.